0: This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Welcome to this special edition of the Paddock Pass Podcast. Why is it special? Well, we're actually three of us together uh, right after the Grand- Red Bull Grand Prix of the Americas in Austin, Texas. And we're getting ever so slightly sweaty here in uh, David and Neil's kitchen of their Airbnb that they've hired to cover the race weekend. Uh, lovely decoration, guys. It's a little bear. I mean, we've got a nice surfboard behind us. So um, it's unfortunate that we're not really going to be hanging around long enough to try that. But uh, there's certainly been, you know, enough uh, wave catching, surfing, rollicking action in the Circuit of the Americas this weekend. Big uh, Remy Gardner um, energy. Yes, big yeah, Remy Austin. Gardner. bastianini's uh you know, <laughs> can he surf as well?
1: Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure he could do pretty much
0: anything at the moment.
2: He surfed those Austin Bums beautifully today oh god for to continue this yeah uh, let's let's hold, theme.
0: let's hold that moment now the podcast of course is brought to you by fly racing thanks a lot guys as well as rental street uh, rental street clip-ons pre- premium race spec stuff clip-ons developed by some of the world's fastest racers rental street are actually present in world superbike so jonathan ray the series the 2022 series got underway this weekend as well over in europe uh jonathan ray taking a race win i think he was on the podium for the other two races but of course our um, missing colleague, uh, Steve English, will be updating everybody on the Paddock Pass podcast with an episode, hopefully talking about Aragon. Was Aragon, wasn't it? The first it was, round? Aragon, it yes. was Aragon. It was Aragon, okay. So, yeah, I'm clearly operating in a different time zone. Uh, so, yeah, we'll we hope to get, a, yeah, well, get our World Superbike podcast going. Different wave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, guys, what are, what are our moments of this Grand Prix? Uh, it took place all of four or five hours ago. Uh, you know, it was a hot day. It was a windy day. Uh, the, the circuit was reasonably packed with fans. I mean, it wasn't kind of Formula One-esque levels of uh, fandom and, and busy gates and seats and full grandstands or whatever else. But um, we had perhaps one of the most entertaining MotoGP races we've seen at Cossa for quite a while. Uh, of course, we've had last lap or last corner maneuvers, um, surprise race order changes but this was quite a big group of MotoGP riders continuing the theme of 2022 by being completely unpredictable. Uh, Dave first of all what what really stood out today for you?
1: Uh, Well I mean my well my my the big moment of the weekend really there was two of them the the the, the first moment of the weekend caused the second moment of the weekend for the uh, we knew that Mark Marcus had been saving himself um, he told us so, and um, in fact, look at his warm-up pace this morning was great, because it was like, fast lap, slow lap, fast lap, slow lap, fast lap, slow lap, because clearly he had to save his energy for the race. Um, uh, Neil bravely uh, predicted that Mark would win. Foolishly. Yes, last night. No, I mean, it seemed no, perfectly it was... sensible at the time, yeah. um, but uh, the... Uh, Honda RC two one three V started flashing lights on the grid. Um, we all thought that you know what's he done? Is he pr- accidentally pressed the pit lane limiter or something? But it wasn't that. It, he sort of left the. Well, he thought he did as well. Yeah, exactly. He checked to see that he switched it off, and he had switched it off. Um, he was talking about something about the whole shot device. He wasn't sure whether, whether it was uh, whether it was that, but basically, as he broke. Oh dear! Please forgive me, dear uh, uh, podcast listeners. As he braked for uh, turn one, um, after getting off the line at sort of you know thirty kilometres an hour, um, he the bike sort of unscrambled itself. Most of the flashing lights went off. It still wasn't completely um, normal. Mark said, Um, but he found himself at the back of the the back of the pack. And he had to fight his way through and he ended up at a certain point, he ended up with Fabio Quattararo and those two had a proper little ding dong. It was a proper, proper battle. Fabio quattararo was not going to give up and Mark Marcus, there was no way he was not going to get past them, uh, um, Fabio quattararo And afterwards, quattararo was very interesting. He sort of, he sort of said, uh, yeah, I mean, you learn a lot in these sort of races and he saw the opportunity to actually have a look at Mark, see what he could do, you know, learn some things about passing and all the rest of it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was probably setting up the rest of 2022. So that was that was a lot of fun.
0: Uh, we'll come back to talk about Mark in a, in a short while. But firstly, Neil, what was your, what was your kind of moment of this Grand Prix?
2: It had to be towards the end of the race when. Alex Rins passed the Bastianini. He had made some really good progress. Those guys caught and passed for him, Martin. And, um, Rins at that point was the danger man in the race, looking really strong. And that seemed to just wake Anaea Bastianini up. And we later found out that he had been conservative of his, his energy in the first part of the race, um, and conserving his tires as well ahead of a late push. And then, you know, his late push just basically, eradicated Jack Miller's lead, which was, I think, seven-tenths of a second in next to no time at all. I think it was two laps and he was with him. Um, And seeing Ineo at the end of the race, it made me wonder, even if Mark hadn't had the issues at the start, would he have been able to live with that? Because Ineo was just in a a class of his own, really. Um, And in such a close race where we had the the full top ten, more or less, all circulating together for him to then put two seconds into the rest of the field in the last five or six laps, I think, um, shows many things, many of his qualities, just how good he is at managing tyres. Strategy was spot on today. And, um, you know, you're looking at a guy that looks kind of fully formed in many respects. So, yeah, I thought Anaïs' performance was stunning.
0: Again, we'll, we'll we'll dissect a little bit of, you know, what's making Bastini you know, so effective at the moment. But um, for me, my moment, again, involves Alex Rins. You know, I think his last lap pass on uh, Jack Miller, take second place again we've seen Rins do this kind of stuff before I mean he seems to be incredibly precise as well as confident when he wants to be um I for one was a little disappointed that Jack left the door open um actually post-race he explained that he knew Rins was going to take that that spot I think it was down into turn 18 Um, you know, the left-hander where Rins made the move. 19. but he uh, 19. He tried, sorry, yes, the penultimate corner and he tried to cut back across but he said when he got on the gas, the bike just went sideways and he wasn't able to get the traction to attack him again. Um, you have to think, Milo okay, it's his first time on the podium. Uh, he hasn't had the best of luck, of course, this season so far. So he's going to be reasonably satisfied but to lose second place after leading most of the Grand Prix, you know, good two-thirds of the race, it was uh, somewhat disappointing. But Alex Rins... Guys, I mean, he has a connection with Kota, of course. But uh, are we seeing like a completely rejuvenated, you know, rider for Suzuki? There was one point last year where we thought he's going to get kicked out. You know, Juan Mir has superseded him as Suzuki's top dog. Uh, We were talking about younger riders perhaps coming in, Suzuki taking their former model of having one established core A-list rider and having a younger guy they can bring through. And Rin seemed to be out the door, but so far... I mean, he's one of, I think, of only two riders to have been made more than one podium appearance.
1: Yeah, to me, there really seems to be a change in Rins. He seems a lot more relaxed. He seems a lot more uh, calm, a lot less flustered. He's not making the same kind of mistakes, which we've seen previously. Uh, I mean, it, it, basically, like I think last year, it was, what, four races in a row that he crashed out of? He doesn't look like he's going to crash out of uh, – he hasn't really looked like he's been taking – that kind of risk at all. Uh, he hasn't really looked like he's been taking the kind of risk um, that is going to see him, uh, you know, like lose it and fall out or fall off or, or, or anything like that. He looks completely in control. He looks like he knows what he's doing. He, he just looks really much, uh, much better. He also looks sort of, calmer more confident when you when you talk to him he just he just sort of exudes like okay you know i've got this under control let's see what happens
0: now what do you think i mean is alex wins a transformed character is it the effect of being a new father he mentioned as well he's worked a lot on his mental approach to racing which clearly was an issue that affected him in 2021 from being in promising race positions to crashing out i think it was four or five races in a row where he hit the ground
2: mm, yeah Yep, he had a horrible run last year. I think the um, MotoGP Unlimited series shone a light on the thin ice. I guess you could say Rins was on in that garage, like the the sort of the the anger that um, his crew had at him during that really sticky spell. There was just it was it was anger. It was it was sheer frustration because they knew that he was throwing away great opportunities, Uh, wasn't using his head. I think there was when he crashed out in the race in. Uh, arrest in this unlimited show you saw his uh, crew chief manu um you know saying well why is he trying to do so much to soon? bit of patience you know and that was um that was definitely lacking from rins's approach and um yeah it does seem to um be camera as dave said um he certainly seems to be i don't know engaging a bit more like uh, we've maybe mentioned a bit on the pod before that okay he's speaking to us in his second language or his third language in fact um but he was kind of unwilling to engage, go into detail, talk about things in a sort of interesting way. It would be bland. It was almost like he wasn't really there. He was just saying, yeah. you know, operating at 50% mental capacity and not really engaging. This year there's been a change in that and he's actually been quite interesting to go and listen to. Um, and, um, you know, he's, he's, he's super fast. I think his riding style is probably more suited to the Suzuki than Tran mirrors because, you know, Tran's pretty aggressive rins is so smooth and that's kind of what that bike needs i think to be fast um and uh yeah he just seems to have got his head
0: sorted out. like um
2: there's consistency there there's speed there and um he's not completely on the edge
0: well, we're talking about an infuriating rider of course because the talent the talent <laughs> the talent is clear but like that like neil says you know he he when he wants to he doesn't evoke much character there's not much to relate to there's not much to you know for all the the posturing with the you know i don't want to say immodestly but the the helmet designs i mean his gesture about the ukraine and and their plight of course in in this kind of um, eastern conflict going on was was very commendable but uh, i do question about whether he, he we can take him seriously or not
1: i think we can i mean genuinely he looks like a he looks like a changed man he looks like someone who uh like I say, he looks so much more confident, looks so much calm. He looks more patient. I mean, you know, what Neil just said, that they was last year they were his crew were complaining about him being impatient. He looks genuinely patient now. He looks like he can wait. Um he's prepared to wait, wait for the moment and and sort of not rush into things. Also, that I think also comes from confidence. I think the bike makes a big, big difference. This bike really is much better than last year's. It's much, it's much faster. It gives. Uh, I think it was. Uh, I can't remember when I when I asked him. I sort of you know what's the difference between last year. Uh, you know, I said you know you look more relaxed. What is it? And he says I can breathe on the straights. Um, so it is that confidence knowing that you're just not going to have like a million ducatis blasting uh, blasting pie, by all the time by the way i thought it was interesting that uh there were a lot of ducatis going past uh, uh, uh people again the, uh, other tracks you've really seen that the ducatis about to dial down the the, the 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 horsepower to save the fuel didn't seem to be so much the the, the case here
0: yeah, Rins in the press conference was talking about how the Suzuki's strengths, the chassis, of course, you know, maybe for Kota. Because if you look at the Suzuki's, there was an interesting study where Joan Mir said to us in a debrief after the race that he didn't feel that the Circuit of the Americas was a very motorcycle-friendly track. He he admit he was comfortable there, but didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Rins seems to be the opposite. He says, you know, the real strength when it comes to the GSX-R is in the hard braking, um, the way the bike can be moved, the agility, of course. Uh, and you know where he's struggling is maybe on acceleration, but uh, you know he just didn't really have many weak points it seemed today. And uh, I think if we go to Portimao, where he's been quick in the last couple of years, uh, and then to Jerez, where he was looking so promising until he crashed and had that shoulder injury in 2020 before during the test, um, and then you know he struggled for the next two to three months, I think, with that shoulder problem. Yeah, I think we 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 have to reevaluate Rens.
2: I think you have to look at both Suzuki's and say they've had a very solid start to the year in weird circumstances, odd races and rounds, things kind of in some ways out of control, and they've scored top six, or I think in Rinz's case, top seven finishes in every race. Um, Yeah,
1: I mean, we were talking about this in the car, that was Juan Mir 6-6-4-4, that, I mean, you know, this is supposed to be a topsy-turvy championship they're in mm-hmm. season where nobody uh, is capable of doing the same thing in a row. And like, Schwanmere, is almost impossible to not do the same thing. You know, it might yeah. also... Well, he
0: was quite chipper in the debrief. He said, like, mission accomplished. I'll come away from these four very diverse and challenging rounds before Europe, and you know, with decent points.
2: And Mir, I think, was... Well, I spoke to his crew chief after the race. He said, this is Jordan's worst track on the calendar. Um, so to come away with fourth... I think he was three seconds off, uh, Bastini hit the flag. I mean, that's that's job done, you have to say. Um, but just the thing about uh, Rins, he was great consistently into Turn 11. And you just saw his brilliance through that first sector. On I the brakes. Yeah, on yeah. the brakes. But basically, that was a consequence of how strong he was through those curves coming out of Turn 2 and then right the way through to Turn 10. And then he was just constantly getting in there. And even if he was being drafted by, he still had an answer for a couple of guys, either in turn 12 by keeping the tight line uh, or turn 19, like he did um, in the final lap with Miller. So yeah, it was a, a really signed performance from Rins and um, yeah, Love his work so far this year. Change, change, man.
0: having your work, Alex. Loving your work. Big fan. Loving Big you. fan. Talking of riders re- reinventing themselves, uh, you know we've seen you know you Bastianini. Know, I mean, arguably he has to assert his status, you know, in MotoGP, um, and you know a second win. He's won fifty percent of the races this year. Do we have to start taking him as a creditable title threat? Where the beginning of the season, you know, I mean, Steve, I'm sure would have loved to have looked at the odds of Bayette Bastinini being 2022 MotoGP world champion.
1: Yeah, was someone uh, someone messaged me on Twitter or you know uh, replied to me on Twitter saying that they showed me their betting uh, the, the their betting profit. And they had made a, a nice tidy little sum off of a, off of a tenner on Bastinini to win. So. Um, uh, someone owes me a beer because uh, <laughs> I predicted he'd win last night because yeah I mean his, his pace was superb I think that there's a few things first of all Bastianini is a really good rider we saw that last year you know he had a, he had a very strong especially the second half of last year uh, in his rookie season on a GP19 the GP19 was fine but not a great bike Um uh especially not since the other bikes would would been uh, developed a lot more, uh, a, a lot better i think um the so the GP twenty one is a better bike, but Andrea Bastianini he's grown a lot, um, and I think genuinely, I mean the advantage is the GP twenty one is they have absolutely they have hard drives and hard drives full of data for the uh, for the thing, so they know <laughs> exactly what the bike will do. They were here in October around the track, so they know exactly what, what the bike how the bike is going to behave around the track. Uh, so there's a certain amount of setup work which, which they don't need to do, but I. Also in the press conference, I asked um, Jack Miller, "Listen, was Bastianini around here? Is that because the GP21 uh, is better around there?" And he said, "No, no, no. That was that was all Bastianini. That was all. You know, he was a great answer. It was a great answer. Yeah, it was a really good answer. You know, it's his throttle control. He's really good on the throttle. It helps that he is um, uh, sort of smaller." Uh, lighter, it means he can sort of, you know, brake and accelerate. He has a little bit of an advantage in brake and acceleration. Um, but generally, it's just his throttle control. He he manages the tyre better. He, you know, he doesn't slide the tyre. Uh, he doesn't slide the tyre. He He slides the tyre exactly enough, whereas... Uh, Jack Miller is more of a uh, uh, you know whack it open and, um, and get the thing sideways and get it around a corner.
2: Yeah, because he was saying that um, he was saying it's really difficult to kind of understand what he's doing exactly because he doesn't necessarily move his body much on the bike. You see his head moving, but it's almost like his hips are always in place, and it's some kind of movement that he's doing from his core. Um, you know, he's not being super aggressive with his arms, and then as you just said there, Dave, he is not using the throttle to turn like Miller does. And we all know that that maybe eats up a bit more of the tire um, than, than usual. So, um, yeah, it's quite a peculiar riding style. The,
1: I mean, the, the other thing is because he is quite small – uh, a long time ago, I interviewed um, Mike Leitner about why they had hired Mickey Calio mm-hmm. as a test rider. And uh, Leitner told me for, for KTM, and Leitner mm-hmm. told me, well, you know, I've worked with Danny Pedrosa for so long. And what I understood from Danny was because he was so small, he couldn't use his body as a lever. He couldn't use his body to force um, the uh, to force the issue. He couldn't use his body to sort of, you know, force the bike around corners. He had to do it all um, on subtlety, on nuance, on behavior, on that sort of thing. Uh, So to me, that I think is uh, one of the things which also... I mean, this was why Leitner hired um, uh, Mika Caglia, also another short rider who had to do more with his feeding, with his sensitivity. Bastianini, again, can't do it with his body. He doesn't have the long, gangly limbs of, uh, you know, a Fabio Quattararo um, uh, or or, Valentino Rossi or Or even a Mark Marquez. Mark Marquez is the ideal size, not uh, size, not too tall, uh, but, you know, large enough and strong enough to be able to, you know, use his body to move the bike. And A. Bastianini has to use the bike to move the bike. And that's what I think he's, Uh, he's
0: so so good at. And that's what makes him so sensitive. Is he using the front end in the similar way that Quattro was last year to such tremendous effect with the Yamaha?
1: Um, Yeah, but I I don't think it's so much the front end. I think it's just so much better with the rear end. Because, you know, tyre management, MotoGP is about ending up at the end of the race with your tyres intact. And we saw, Fabio, was it uh, the fastest lap either last but one or uh one Ania. or two yeah an A, yeah yeah an air were, were saying the fastest lap uh, you know new lap record pretty much at the end of the uh, at the end of the race that just very very impressive it means that you understand the tires that you've got the absolute maximum out, out, out of the tires because you still have plenty left and he opened a big big back
2: and the thing also that this this was apparent from his days in motor 3 He would uh he would always come on strong at the end of a race in moto three the same in moto two usually the difference there um and last year moto gp was his qualifying was fairly miserable um he couldn't qualify that well and i think that's one of the big things that he used through the winter to, to work on and you've seen that this season okay he was um he was on the second row here but that that's very decent he was on the front row on guitar um seems to have made a step forward in that department as well which is so crucial now
0: so it's a case of maybe uh, a rider progressing well progressing quickly and the the gp21 i mean those two factors have really come together
2: yeah i think you know you you asked earlier like is he a real deal for the title i'm going to say no just because he's on a year old machine and you have to imagine when we get to the mid part of this year the gp22s will have completely figured themselves out and they'll be the they'll be the kind of the, the the bike that everyone's aiming to beat in the second half of the year, perhaps. And, I mean, we've seen it so often with satellite riders in the past that have had a really strong start to the season. By the time we get to the flyaways at the end of the year, they're complaining of a lack of development, a lack of parts coming their way, and how they've sort of stood still through the year while everyone yes. else... Is it depends a step on forward. how much
0: everyone can move forward in that respect, because if the GP21 really is still a capable machine, that's the biggest question mark, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's going to be a, a capable machine. We're going to Jerez, uh, Uh, On the Monday, we'll have the Jerez test, and I think we'll see a fairly big step forward. I would be shocked if Ducati aren't using the front ride Mm height device after the Jerez test, because they'll they'll figure that one out there on the GP22. That's going to be a big step forward. Um, Suzuki have still got a few things to figure out. KTM are still working on stuff. Honda will be uh, working. uh, Mark said, you know, they found something in the Honda, uh, a a better way of... uh, set up for the front end, which allowed them to break harder. Um, so yeah, they'll, they'll start a bit to, to figure that out. And then what is it? Two, three races later, there's Barcelona and another test after the race. Then you really start to see, uh, the, then you'll start to see the factory bikes sort of, you know, catch up and start to overtake the, the, the GP 21. Um, the, the, this always happens. The satellite riders start with a, a an advantage because they've got a complete package and um, that's not the case with the uh, with, with the satellite riders you know with the, with the, the or with the, with the factory riders the factory riders take a while to sort the
0: bike out just to wrap up the you know the topic of Bastianini for one of a better phrase is he is he a rider? is he a sexy enough rider to be MotoGP world champion because i think a lot of people even up until before this weekend would have put him fifth in the ranking of Ducati riders, you know, I mean, you would have said Zarco, Martín, Miller, Bagnaya. Yeah, but I think he's going to be—he's he, a champ. He's going to be champion despite Ducati or despite the circumstances. He is a class, class rider. Yeah, he's a Moto Two world champion. We're doing him a slight disservice. Yeah, you know what I mean. He's not—we yeah. wouldn't call oh, him yeah. a star billing in Moto GP, would you? Yeah,
1: no, 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 no. I mean, he mightn't be star billing, but he's just good enough. He is simply um, possibly better than the rest. I mean, like. <clears throat> Uh, Jorge Martín has got that that star quality, um, but he just went backwards today. Um, He doesn't... Jorge Martín has... Jorge Martín is amazing at qualifying, um, but he's just missing that bit in terms of race type pace at some circuits. Other places is amazing, you know, like Qatar, Austria, outstanding, but... um, there are uh, tracks where he turns up and he just he can't quite figure it out. And Bastianini seems to have things uh, dialed in a little better in more, in, in more places.
2: Can I just ask you guys to chill out a little bit? We've just finished our fourth race of the year and you're asking if he's sexy enough to be the world champion. I mean, Ooh, he, yeah. he wasn't
0: that hot in know Yeah, I just like
1: talking about sexy men. That's all, Neil.
0: It's just the nicknames of a beast. I mean, maybe it does something more for Dave rather than a martinator or a marinator. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so if only go. he was called the bear. Then, uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, on, listen. On that note, we'll take a quick ad break. When we come when we come back, we'll talk about some other beastly things, uh, in, namely the feat that Mark Marquez managed uh, today. Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars are premium race-spec clip-ons available in nine different options, two different offsets, and six different diameters, all developed in collaboration with top-level race teams.
2: Use the Fit My Bike tool on renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike.
0: Welcome back to the Pallet Pass podcast. We're going to carry on with our talking points from round four of MotoGP 2022. Mark Marquez, guys. Uh, Dave, as you said in your moment, he didn't get off to the best start. Had a fantastic battle with uh, Fabio Cuartararo where we were actually watching this and thinking, is he going to be mentally screwing with Fabio at some point? I mean, obviously both were pushing, but there was a close proximity there where you could see they were having a bit of cat and mouse, a bit of a joust. Uh, It would have been, you know... Curious to see what would have happened if there'd been contact. Well there almost was, uh going through the the S's there at the beginning of the lap. But uh we're impressed, aren't we? I mean, Marquez, even though it, we're in one of his fortresses, you know, this in the Saxon ring and goodness, half a dozen other tracks on the calendar, uh, he came back to gain confidence. But I I would say that's definitely a job well done.
1: I think or I suspect I mean he was very interesting afterwards. Uh, the, what, what he was saying about, you know, like he did come here to gain confidence, and I sort of think that the, uh, the, the the incident on the grid forced him into it. Like, you know, he had to make a conscious decision because he wasn't feeling that confident. He was sort of working his way into it, but when the bike sort of goes haywire on the on the grid, you this you have two choices: you either go or you don't. Uh, you know, like um, the old Yoda, do or do not. Um, so he did, and uh, he just sort of threw himself into it and actually gained an awful lot of confidence just from pushing, having to push that hard, not having the the luxury of thinking, shall I or shan't I? Should I risk this? Should I risk that? He just risked everything. He was the old Mark. It was also very interesting that he said at the end after after the race, like. I um spoke to the doctors. It was important this weekend not to crash, and he didn't crash this weekend um, I think he is much more wary of crashing now. I suspect we're going he's gonna go from you know being the rider who crashes most to the rider who crashes. I don't know if at least, but a lot less. He's going to be a lot, a lot more circumspect in that uh, in that respect. Um, but yeah, I, he looked like the mark of old. So, you know, the passes he was making were just—I mean, they were cheeky, uh, clean-ish. Oh, ish. <laughs> That's right, and really hard. Um, and that was what made the battle between Caracciolo and Marquez so great. They were—I mean, there was no love lost. They were. They were absolutely giving it everything to get past. They did not want to to, to finish behind each other. An event, I mean, in the end, Quattararo had to give up, but not because he lost the fight, the spirit, but simply because he didn't have the speed of the Vanda. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this, I think, was a – it was a fascinating – it was a really, really good battle. It was also just uh, – I think it was an important moment for Mark to regain his confidence. And I think we, he's back to the old mark from now on.
0: When we sat down for the rider debrief, I said to him, you don't like an easy life, do you? And he said, uh, well, yeah, who wants an easy life? And laughed away. But it's, uh, I mean, Jack Miller was gracious enough in the press conference to admit that, you know, we saw a better race than usual throughout the field or, or to a deeper extent um, in Cotter. And he said, you know, part of that was down to Mark because, you know, we've seen him disappear practically, in so many editions of this race, uh, of this Grand Prix, at this particular venue. But uh, Neil, I mean, for you, from what you saw of Mark today, it's all systems go, isn't it? I mean, when we get to Portimao and Jerez, Jerez especially, perhaps, you know, he's going to be wanting to perhaps bury a demon there, particularly, because, you know, last year, he also had a pretty fast crash coming out of dry sacks.
2: Uh, Yep, he did. Yep, exactly. I don't think um, I don't think that the start made any difference to his approach today. I mean, if Mark was starting from where was he ninth on the grid, yeah. I mean, he was going for the win like from there.
1: Yeah, but he could have taken his time. He could have, I mean, like he would have, um, uh-huh. it, there would have been a few moments where he would have had to, he would have had time to think about uh, is it, do I do it now or do I wait for a couple of corners? Whereas if you're 24th, you can't afford to wait for a couple of corners because mm. if you wait for a couple of corners, then the the guys at the front have already got uh, have pulled that another half a second uh, uh, ahead of you because yeah, you're still if You've got
2: carries in front of you, and the first one is getting ahead of the rest. Then I think you're just inclined to go like hell and try and attempt everything you can to get by the guys in front. He said he was going to attack as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He so. said he was going to. He said he was going to, but I mean, like saying you're going to attack and actually being forced to attack. Like I say, I think it, the the decision was taken out of his hands. He probably would have done. the same thing. It's Mark Marquez. We're talking it, about. it is Mark yes. Marcus Yeah, but it was Mark Marcus without you know without that that, that kind of confidence. So I think um, right. I think this was taken out of his hands. Uh, he was forced. Into uh, he was forced into being Mark Marquez, and he was Mark Marquez.
2: Uh, yes, I think we're arguing over very very minor details That's here. That's right. Like yes, but, uh, the, the d- scene
1: precise scene. number of angels which can dance on the head of a pin.
2: Yes, but it was. I mean, it was a it was a sterling ride. I think I looked at the end of the first lap. He was just over. Uh, sorry, he was just over four seconds off the leader. Um, he finished the race. I think just six seconds off Bastianini, and he had to pass. I don't know how many riders, fifteen or so. Uh, to get there in in the meantime. So to lose a second and a half in that time, you know, it is, is quite remarkable considering the ground he made up on track.
0: It's quite interesting watching the expressions of Alberto Puig. I'm sure sometimes he doesn't know whether to smile or cry because, you know, Honda's fates just seem to swing so wildly every week. I mean, it must be very confusing working in the HRC camp at the moment. I mean, Paulus Magaro, I can't even remember where he finished. Uh, but you know, couldn't talk to us afterwards because he's still unwell from the bout of food poisoning or a stomach upset he had. Uh, Alex Marquez, of course, had a miserable weekend—three crashes. A miserable time,
2: just an awful season for Marquez. Yeah, and uh, Nakagami, not really anywhere. Yeah, Kota were back to just the old, the old Honda and the, that kind of um, optimism that they had pre-season is is but a distant memory. You know, Paul Espargaro talking about possibly fighting for the championship. I mean, it's it's been three lousy races for Paul, um, and. You know, once again, we're seeing that Mark is their their flag bearer. He's they're going to have to pin their hopes on him once again.
0: And with some riders and teams are talking almost in desperation of getting back to Europe and, and kind of launching a second phase of the championship, whereas for others has obviously been very profitable. Being you know from Qatar to Indonesia to Argentina and to the Americas, um, I, I'm not too sure where this thread of, of the championship is going to extend. I, I think we said it at the top of the show. You know, 10 different riders from 12 possible podium places.
1: Yeah, but I mean, last race it had been nine out of nine, and now it's only 10 out of 12. And we've had our first repeat winner. We've had our first repeat winner. We've had, you know, Alex Rins on the podium again for the second time. Um, This and the. If you like the names at the front were recognisable, they were the the, the the names that we were sort of expecting. You know, there were, Fabio Quattrarà was there, Mark Marquez was there, uh, Peke Bagnia was there until he sort of went backwards a little bit. Jorge Martín went backwards a little bit, but was still there. The the shall we say the top eight to ten were exactly the names that we were expecting to see. So yeah, this is this was very much. This seemed much more like. Uh, the season had a shape again it, it's I think there's still going to be a few shake-ups I mean you know KTM have to make a step KTM will be back we've seen what Miguel Oliveira was capable of we saw what uh, Brad Binder was capable because I think Brad Binder's ride is perhaps a little bit underrated. He uh, almost
0: finished ninth. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, from
0: seventeenth a- on the grid. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. And that um, uh, it, his tire worked. Everything seemed to work. It came. It came together. They seemed to be making progress. So I think we're the where there is going to be the season. It feels like the season is starting to to take shape, but. Uh, It's still there for a while.
0: The fluctuation of roles, like I was saying earlier, Bastinini, is he serious? Rins, is he serious? Uh, You know, we we thought Peko Bagnaya was going to be one of the favorites for the championship and he's finally starting to get some points, but hasn't had the explosive impact as he finished last season. Um, What about the Aprilias? I mean, we saw Alesha Spargaro come into the Grand Prix as the world championship leader, really uh take take your surfing analogy or you know fandom you're sitting here in some shorts as well you're really getting into it uh you know he he was on the quest of a wave wasn't he i mean grand prix winner right on the top of it uh you know we've rarely seen aprilia looking so buoyant as well as you know the catalan himself and it didn't quite work out and he, people were even asking him what's the status of your contract with aprilia as any talks happened in, in you know the few days since you've given them a milestone achievement and for 2023 and that didn't really there wasn't such a positive reaction to that. And, you know, um, the, the black bikes after looking so quick initially at Kota really didn't figure in the running, did they?
2: Yeah. I mean, um, I think Aleish's performance was probably as labored as that analogy that you just made. Uh, <laughs> Riding the Crest of the Wave. Um, yeah. I, yeah. With, I think, Aleish had, what, five crashes at Cota last year. An absolute nightmare. Yeah. Uh, I was really far back in qualifying. Uh, yet, they had good rhythm um, in free practice. And you almost got the impression that least that in its own right, was enough for lace to be kind of happy. he that
0: he didn't fall off five times.
2: That also. Um, but, you know, he, he was sent on Saturday, even though they had a pretty lousy qualifying and, um, and they didn't get into Q2, um, that their pace and their podium potential at this track uh, proved that um, they were going to have a, a good season, um, maybe even more so than, than Argentina. Um, so... Yeah, it wasn't a great ride from him, but this is definitely one of his worst tracks. Vinales, you want to be positive, but yet again, uh, there's a guy that had genuine podium speed. If you look at the fastest laps by riders, he was the third fastest rider in that race. I think he said his fastest lap in the race was like less than a tenth off Bastianini's fastest lap of the race. Um, and you know, similar, similar story really to Maverick. Um, slow start were qualifying, didn't get into Q2. Let's, I wouldn't say lethargic opening laps, but just not the kind of aggression in the opening laps that you need to be able to make progress from there. And at one of his best tracks, when Aprilia is as strong as it is, um, he feels to he feels to make the top eight, I think, of the top nine. So I would say, yeah, it's a dis- disappointing performance from Maverick. um I wasn't particularly expecting much of him coming
0: here. Gossip is part of any sport. I mean, it generates... Uh, interest, the stories, you know, a little bit of fuss. Um, you know, people are already talking about contracts. They were this weekend, uh, whether it's the future of Jack Miller after making the podium for the first time, Alessia, as we mentioned, Fabio Quattararo as well. There's obviously talks going on behind the scenes, uh, whether it's <coughs> managers or agents putting out feelers or, you know, there's some serious uh, negotiating going on. Uh, first of all, Quattararo, after his experiences this weekend, should he feel... Um, encouraged by his position at Yamaha, or do you think you know he's still looking around do you think no, he's being he, shopped around he's 100 percent being
1: shopped around um I don't think he's feeling particularly comfortable either certainly uh he was asked um so what's your opinion of the bike? he was basically asked you know do you um uh, are you gonna have to compensate for the bike or not and he gave a sort of convoluted, uh, he gave a very politically correct answer, and then um, said something. You know, I, I have my opinion of the bike. So then he was asked, "So what is your opinion of the bike?" And he says, "I'll keep my opinion of my of the bike to myself." Um, Maybe so, it's because
0: he's asked every week, though.
1: No, 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 because he doesn't think the bike is very good. It's quite obvious from the answer that he gives. He has that look on his face that silver says. Um, Uh, uh, dear Santa, please can I have those (laughs) 30 horsepower that you offer that that you gave to Suzuki by
0: mistake. Yeah, but let's be honest, David Neil, I mean, he's not going anywhere, is he? I mean, he could get in the queue of riders at Ducati or, you know, he can be Yamaha's top dog and bank on the fact. Or it could be Mark Marcus's teammate. Why would you want to do that? I mean, surely you're on a hiding to nothing. I mean, Paul Paul took the the carrot of like, oh, going to the best team with the best rider. That's
1: right. But why would he do that? Because they all believe that they can, that if they're on the same machine as someone else, they can beat them. Because otherwise, why would you even bother turning up? Because, I mean, like, otherwise, they're all just racing for second. And yes, they are all just racing for second. But, I mean, you wouldn't, you have to sacrifice so much. You have to have so much belief to keep doing this, to keep throwing yourself up the road, to keep training and and sacrificing so much. Um, You're not going to do that if you think that, you know, oh, maybe I can get sort of six that's the Saxon ring or something. You are thinking like... Given the right circumstances, I can be champion.
0: Fabio Quattarari already proved that he can be champion. They, they, from the three teammates that Marks had at Honda, he's retired two of them. I mean, this is not an easy saddle to have. And also, there's yeah, a budget but, thing. Honda know, won't be able to afford you, Quattarari. You,
1: you underestimate the, the self-belief, the levels of self-belief necessary. I mean, you know, Polo uh went to Honda expecting to be a competitive with Mark Marquez. Paul Pagro is a very fine rider, but he's not competitive with Marc Marquez. Then again, who is competitive with Marc Marquez? But Fabio Quartararo believes that he can beat Marc Marquez, and especially if they're on the same machine, then it's just his talent versus Mark's talent. And Yes, Mark is very, very special, but uh, Fabio thinks that he's pretty special too. And to be honest... He is pretty special. Remember in 2015, you know, they changed the rules so he could um, uh, join Mo- uh, the Moto3 early and he was welcomed as the new Mark Marquez and all the rest of it. So, yeah, of course he believes it.
2: Yeah, he retired Lorenzo and he retired Pedroza, but they were at the end of their careers. Um,
1: also, uh, uh, Lorenzo did, did sort of manage to hurt himself really badly in, in the last couple of years of his of his career.
2: It's a new Honda. Paul Espargaro there is a fine rider, as Dave says, but he's not a MotoGP world champion. And Fabio said on Saturday, um, someone asked him about the trouble of adapting to a bike because he does have quite a particular riding style. Um, And he said, you know, the the thought of adapting to a new bike is, is not an issue. I'm not thinking about, I have to choose a bike that is in line with my riding style because he is absolutely sure that he could adapt. And that for me was a sign that he's very seriously considering yeah. other avenues. Um, as as Dave mentioned, you know, he's, he's pretty nonplussed about the situation. And, um, you know, I think, I have to say, I thought he wrote really well um, today. Yeah, he got beaten by Marquez in the closing laps, but he got beaten by Marquez at Cota. Even when Marquez was a bit physically destroyed in those, those closing laps, but he... Got the he rung the absolute maximum out of that package, and when you see someone like Fabio, sorry, Franco Morbidelli and Andrea De Vizio are fighting for fifteenth at the flag, yeah, I mean it shows you that you know Fabio's head didn't go down. He's he's I think he's he's basically sparing I Yamaha's think, blushes. Well,
0: Yamaha obviously need him more than he needs the Yamaha, yeah, but absolutely. I just think his options at the moment are, are quite limited, aren't they?
1: Well, they're only limited to say Repsol Honda. Um, Ducati I mean I I mean Ducati tried to hire him you know they, they they already tried to hire him and that was one of the reasons that he got moved into the factory team so quickly um Ducati have a uh, an embarrassment of riches at the moment but if he if they you know if they are being offered the 2021 world champion and a rider who is clearly at an exceptionally high level they're not going to turn him down they're not going to say you know what no we're all right um they will uh, they will have a look at Banyaya and see how Banyaya I mean they would would they sacrifice Banyaya for Quatararo Quatararo beat Banyaya last year um
2: already...
0: he has a two year deal oh, yeah all
1: right. right. Yeah, fair enough um, but Miller yeah. Jorge Martín Jorge Martín we're all talking about Jorge Martín going straight to the uh, to the factory team does he go straight to the factory team I mean you know would you would you choose uh, Quartararo over, over Martín um, Suzuki maybe even you know that Suzuki has got more horsepower Suan uh, Mir has yeah. been sort of reasonably unhappy Alex Rins is obviously on a um, uh, on a prove it contract uh, so yeah I think there's lots and lots of I think that Fabio has a lot um, uh, has a lot of options, and I think what's hap- it's clear what's happened to the Yamaha. The Yamaha won the championship last year, so they thought so they were more conservative with their development because you know the bike was good enough to win last year, but. They forgot that everyone is coming off two years of not being able to update the engines, and so they've had yeah. there's been a lot of development suddenly from twice. There's been a big jump from 21 to 22.
0: It's funny how things turn around so quickly because Juan Mir, what five six months ago, was saying things have to improve, things have yeah. to change. Yeah, uh, Suzuki's clearly competitive now, they'll probably have more suitors than they had previously. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's
2: Fabio I mean, was saying the same thing to be fair at Valencia last year and at the REST test, and I think that.
0: But he was just off the back of a championship, so it's hard to justify that kind of complaint. I mean, it was more of a warning rather than a demand, wasn't
2: it? Exactly. But I still think, you know, he was—he had been banging the drum, this drum, from the middle part of last year um, and been making Yamaha engineers aware that this was a a real issue. So I think that's doubly insulting that um, they didn't heed his warning.
0: Do you think the biggest thing we we will see is what factory is going to invest into the the next star of tomorrow to pick a cliche i mean who's going to be sniffing around the the Fernandez or the bezeki i mean some who's going to invest maybe it will be suzuki maybe it will be a repsol honda uh, perhaps ktm i don't know there's maybe within the satellite teams we'll see more movement than we do at the peak end of the factory teams
1: yeah i mean you know we've been talking about framin Aldeguer, uh, who had a fantastic weekend uh well apart from the uh, uh apart from the apart from the motor two race, but I mean up until <laughs> up until That's the race. race it was looking really really good. I thought Pedro Acosta was actually until he crashed out again. Um he, he was looking much more star solid, much more stable, much more mature. Um and Tony Arbolino of course. Yeah, Tony Arbolino. Yeah, fantastic ride by Arbolino. So there's there is there's a lot of choice. I don't think we're going to see any I think we're going to see lots and lots of rumors for the next two months. I don't think we're going to see anyone signed before certainly not before Mugello. I think, yeah. Um, Catalonia at the earliest it might be if they're sensible and the thing is there's going to be enough choice also because the factories don't necessarily have to move on you know the factories the riders the factories have are good enough um, so it's more about you know riders looking for for something more. So that that gives you sort of much more time to assess. It gives the factories much more time to assess their choices. Um, I think it could be the summer break. You know that we come back after Finland um, uh, at Silverstone and there's 27 riders in the uh, in the press conference because they've all got to announce their new contracts.
0: Uh, quickly on motor 2 moto 3 uh, the motor 2 race was particularly bonkers wasn't it i mean it was the un- it was opening the race schedule uh, we saw like you know dave mentioned a couple of crashes tony arbolino how many 6 7
2: no was... more there was like 17 finishers from
0: 29 starters so 12 yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah what can we put this? Is there any factor in that yes. maybe um, because it was that was probably when it was windiest yeah the, say the
2: conditions were different it was a bit cooler i think the front tire was on the limit of what it could do with that track especially when it was in traffic you know there was um the front tire was overheating so a lot of uh yeah a lot of guys lose the front um i think there was a problem also with Riders getting a lot of neutrals. Cameron Bobier was saying he was hitting neutrals left, right, and center, and that was calling into question a bit the transmission that the Moto Two machines use. Maybe Uh, it should be Jake Dixon as well. I think. Yeah, he said he hit a couple of neutrals in the in the race. Sankhya Chandra, who took out Sam Lowes, I think, hit a neutral when he was um, careering into Turn Twelve on the first lap. Um, So yeah, and then also it was like very windy. Um, I think Turn Sixteen in particular. Um, that was a place where it was quite gusty and the point where you're just about accelerating, you're taking a bit of load off the front, a gust of wind can catch you there and that can be quite problematic. So and
1: up and, and the... it and it's the race. It's the yeah. race. So there's that, you know, there's that bit more pressure, which is the difference between being on the limit and just having poking
0: your nose over and like you say, the wind. Um... Yeah, because I, I walked up you know, part of the track when Moto2 was starting and Turn 1, which is the highest part of the circuit, I mean, and the drop down into two, three, four, five. I mean, it was really, you know, I mean, it was pushing me up the hill. It was quite strong. I mean, I think even in the area, they were warning of potential bush forest fires just because the wind was going to be pushing... Any of that kind of particular trouble across the county or, or the area, I suppose you could say. But, are you uh, sure that
2: wasn't the win from the tackles you had last night?
0: <laughs> no, it was, uh, no, I was surfing on that one, Neil, don't worry. Um, moto 3, uh, Jamma Massi taking his second win for Red Bull, Katie Uh, You know, it was by, of course, the slenderest of margins ahead of Dennis Foggia. Uh, he's really uh, put in the marker down as, as the, um, the man for the world championship isn't he made a three so far
1: yeah it was it was a class move as well uh, uh, at the end of by, by Foggia you know those last few corners were fantastic
0: yep yep really good stuff from Massey
2: as well because he's been a bit hit or miss so far this year and it's the first time that he's like ridden in any way like a guy that can fight for the championship he's been um, a bit lackluster so yeah it was uh, much needed and especially with Sergio Garcia crashing out or getting taken on Danny Holgado
0: yeah, uh, Daniel Gaddi, glad to see that teenagers can still be full nutcases uh, hmm. sometimes, uh, not only hitting Sergio Garcia, but then crashing out twice. on the last corner. Yes, Crashed twice, didn't, yeah. didn't even finish the race.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, class, class model three race. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think on this, uh, when we did the podcast from this one last year, one of the, the things we were bemoaning was how this track was terrible for motorbike racing and the racing thrown up is always rubbish. But today we had two really good races, so... Um, I think we got ourselves quite lucky. I haven't seen
0: that. Fingers crossed when we come back next year, the bumps won't be quite as wavy and as big as they were when we saw the race in October. Uh, and again, even going back a year before, of course, it depends on a lot of things—not only the geology, but the amount of track being used, what it's used for, as well—all uh, important issues. Guys, let's just move on to the last section of the, the podcast: um winners and losers. um dave I, I'm going to say for me, I'm going to mention my first winner, and I. Took great pleasure in seeing Danilo Petrucci take uh, two race wins in the opening round of Moto America on the on the and he said Desmosedici, the Panigale. Uh, you know, even though he's in somewhat dodgy shape physically, uh, you know, he still managed to show what a class act he was, and a uh, very popular win as well. I mean, it was evident, I think, amongst the Moto America paddock that you know he was he's already a popular addition to the series.
1: Yeah, I mean, just a, just a fantastic personality and a, a, a genuinely nice person. He's a he's a uh, like I say, you know the, the the last human in MotoGP. He was uh, a, a, a proper warm person. So yeah, everybody, um, everybody really felt he deserved it and wanted, it and, 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 he, and and was happy for him
0: to win. Now, apart from the taco industry here in Austin that profited from your hard-earned dollars this weekend, who was who was your winner?
2: Um, Suzuki, I think Suzuki were my winners because Alex wins produced a, a super race. Um, he's looking like a really strong figure, and they've got two guys I think that can that can really fight for the championship this year. Um, yeah, I mean they've uh, as, we've, as we've kind of mentioned on the pod so far, they've navigated four very tricky rounds with solid results that haven't been necessarily that eye catching, but they've said or they've given themselves fantastic foundations um, from which they can go on in Europe and uh, start to consistently be on the podium. So I think you have done a great job at the start. This year, who stood out for you, Dave?
1: Um, I'm going to be greedy and have two because uh, I mean, Dennis Foggia is dominating my other three, uh, just genuinely, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, when second is disappointing, that it generally means you're doing quite well. But I think my big winner is uh, Mark Marquez because Mark Marquez is back. That this was Mark Marquez, he came back from a huge, huge, huge crash. Um, One, all he did all weekend was talk about how it had sapped his confidence Uh, and this race I think gave him a massive bout of confidence they also found something on the Honda to help him braking uh, which was a big thing there's still sort of his problem is still like the Honda is a V-bike so the V bike is, um, corner entry braking really, really hard and then making turning really, really fast and then picking the bike up really, really quickly and getting on the gas. So, uh, they were missing the hard braking and the fast turning, which is this lack of feeling that he's been talking. They've solved part of that. So the pole, the, the, they've solved the hard braking. They can do the hard braking again. Now they need to figure out the quick turning. Um, that may not come back because. Because of the change in the weight balance, you know the 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 weight is further back, so they may have, just have to find a way to 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 ride around it to 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 live with this lack of feeling, um, and the bike is already quick, so it's uh, to me I think Mark Marcus really um, really benefited from this weekend, and I think uh, he's going to be a compl- a real factor, but. It, Fabio Quattararo said afterwards you know Marcus can be a factor in the champion he's going to be in the fight for the championship
2: if you produced a performance like that after a weekend when I think only one free practice session he actually put effort into it then, and roads like a normal weekend doing runs I mean, that, uh, I know it's Kota. I know it's the circuit of the Americas. But yeah, any doubts that were sort of lingering as to whether he would be sharp or, or fully into it would be, or uh, would well, dispelled today. So.
0: I just, you know, when he falls off again, you just uh, cross your fingers. It's not going to have any... Right.
1: Yeah, but he, uh, he, he is, at some point, he he's going, I mean, this is, I think we've said this before, his career, he's not going to retire like Valentino did at 42. He is going to be forced to retire like Mick Doohan because he's hurt himself one too many times. Um, but he seems to be taking efforts to mitigate the chance that he does hurt himself. Um, and so, yeah, he's going to fall off. It's not going to end well at some point. But the way that he's riding at the moment, the way that he's approaching it, the, 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 the fact that he got through this entire weekend without crashing, that to me says he's changing his approach a little bit, taking a little bit less risk unless he has to. You know, He's leaving the risk for the race, um, which is when it's worth it because you, stand, you cause the reward is so much higher. He's not going to be risking in practice much.
0: Neil, which uh, rider, person or team or thing will be rushing to the airport to get away from Austin?
2: Uh, Yamaha. Um, I think it was uh, it was a tough day. You
0: can't pick them every week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the their blushes received once again by by Fabio. Um, each race that is passing by, they're realizing that they're going to have to shell out more money to keep him there. And as we just discussed, I think it's it's a, it's a possibility that he, he won't be there next year. And if he isn't there next year, then Yamaha. Or- Screwed. I mean they're in they're in deep trouble because he's been the guy that has been propping them up for the past year and a half. So I think um I think they have reason to be genuinely concerned.
0: They-
1: uh, I think it has to be Alex Marquez because you know he crashed out again. He's having a shocking season. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago there was you know the, the talk about I think it was also maybe last season when Paul came over that it was you know if Alex is faster than Paul then Alex gets that second Repsol seat and nobody is talking about Alex getting that second Repsol seat anymore. I don't even I don't think even Mark. Is convinced that Alex deserves that second Repsol seat at the moment. Um, Of course, not all of it is his own fault, but he's just he's just having that. This was another weekend to forget.
0: I think for me, I'm I'm going to pick two riders: Sam Lowes, Sergio Garcia. People in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, it just goes to show. Even if you do have an exceptional amount of skill, that fortune is still a big part to play in the racing game. I mean, that's a big dent not only to Lowe's, you know, title aspirations, even though he's still trying to play catch up in motor two. And it was still I think it was a testament to the man as well, that he was leaning over the pit wall cheering on Arbolino, you know, mm. his teammate taking victory there. Um, and Garcia in particular, you know, looked so good, you know, in the Argentina as well. Um, you know, lost big points today for the championship, lost the championship lead, in fact. So it's um uh, you know, can be harsh. Yeah, uh, I mean seeing
1: Sam Lowe's hobble down Pit Lane towards Park Fermate to congratulate uh, uh Tony Arbolina, I think you know, that was class. It shows the class of the man. He's a um uh he he he's a he's a class act he, despite his affinity for golf. <laughs>
0: Well, that's it from this edition of Panipas Podcast. It's great to be able to do this uh, in a slightly hurried fashion, we will admit, post-race. But then, you know, we've got to get back to Europe. We've got to get back home. uh, And then Easter weekend off. So I hope, um, you know, the bunny brings you some big chocolate eggs uh, before we uh, start the jaunt towards Portimao. for for round five and you know start to work our way to the first quarter of the championship being over but um thanks again to rental street don't forget to check out their catalog they got tons of stuff not just an off-road but of course anything to fit the street bike that's sitting in your garage and of course fly racing as well loads of gear jackets riding pants t-shirts t-shirts as dave's finally modeling here in our video go and have a look at their website as well and we'll be back next week this episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison,
1: and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, I just know? like talking about sexy men. That's all,
2: Neil.